Irish Illustrated Insider, April 9th, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated with Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Welcome, everybody. Our first podcast in two weeks. We had an opportunity to uh, speak with Brian Kelly on Wednesday, giving a perspective on what he's doing on a daily basis, how they're trying to keep things in order and still plan moving ahead. But obviously, there are a lot of questions that that are unanswered. One of the things that we'll be addressing here in segment one, uh, Pete and Tim both had the opportunity to interview Matt Bayless the other day. And that's probably the more interesting (laughs) news of the last two days. But I thought there was some good stuff from Brian Kelly. Tim and I talked about it yesterday in our instant analysis. But maybe you guys, uh, before we get into Brian Kelly, maybe you guys should kind of take over and uh, talk about the conversation that you had with Matt Bayless a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah it, was it, like a, it, was, it was like a podcast with a really informed Notre Dame person. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> fun. <laughs> that was good. I mean, it was insightful about, um, you know, sort of the bands that they're using, but also I think, I mean, that was the way that I wrote it was like, the, the bands are one thing, but it was, it had much more to do with like giving the roster some kind of connectivity where they can all do one thing. Um, Cause that's, that's a, been a real challenge. I think in, in these days. Um, so that, I mean, that was kind of insightful. Um, you know, the fact that he said 20, 25% of the roster uh, had stay at or work at home gym type stuff was interesting. I didn't, I was kind of curious like what that percentage would have been. Cause I think Notre Dame is probably on the high end nationally. Um, and to only be in the 20% range. Oh, yeah. Kind of low. I I take that at, and I think you're probably right that they're on the high end nationally. Um, but I take that low number because I I thought there'd be a higher number when when you asked that question. I thought it was going to be oh about fifty percent. You know, yeah, I take that too. to mean it, in the modern era the high level athletes just have one hundred percent access going back to their high school gym or a gym in their neighborhood, or they have a trainer when they go home and they don't need it at home anymore because. Don't you think like 25 years ago, that number would have been over 60%? There's, there's no doubt about yeah. that. That's just changed. I think yeah. what you said is absolutely right. They have access to the, the, the highest quality of workout equipment when they go to Notre Dame, you know, personal trainers, gyms that they can go to now. So I know that I had to, I had to uh, quote, borrow back some weights from, that I gave away because, I, because I, I didn't work out at home anymore either. But, you know, just to, to try to get through the few weeks here, but you know, I, P, you talked about the bands uh, that they use and, and that's good. You know, as we know, that's good short term, but when you're dealing with, didn't you talk to McGlinchey and McGlinchey said something about, uh, you know, I mean the, 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 uh, the glossy gym that people can go to, that's just not going to cut it for a, for a major yeah, college football player. That. Right. Well, and they don't even have that, but I mean, for, and you know, skill position guys, I get, you know, you can, you can do your cardio and the stuff with the bands, but when it gets to offensive and defensive linemen, man, that, that's only going to carry you so far. Yeah, I'd talked to, um, to Chris Watt about this prior and I kind of joked, like, shouldn't the offensive linemen all report back in the best cardiovascular shape of their lives <laughs> because they really can't do the other stuff. And he's like, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, <laughs> this might be something where, yeah, you could do the cardio, and Bayless mentioned, you know, that's our main thing is normally when they would get back, we wouldn't even be worried about monitoring their cardio because they're going to be in shape when we've had them, but now they have to be careful when they come back for whatever portion of training it is. got to monitor every, everything from scratch, and you are going to have 
he admitted there'll be a variance. I don't think he wants to admit how large that variance is going to be between the top five guys in shape that matter and the bottom 10 or 15 that are just not able to motivate themselves. You know, no matter how motivated you are, it's just going to be harder. I mean, if you had Drew Tranquil doing this, he would come back in the exact same shape he was going to be in anyway. <laughs> but it's not – I don't right. think it can be like that for as many people. You know, I, I – Something that Bayless said about we've got some of the most self-driven young men in the country. And I think that that's true. I'm not sure that that's going to be a differentiator between Notre Dame and their 12 opponents this fall or those that are competing. Maybe not Navy. Maybe that, yeah. (laughs) Right. That's true. The most important one to start out, huh? (laughs) But, um, you know, I I mean, I I think I take some stock in that. I, I take some stock in some of the things that, Brian Kelly said yesterday too. And well, first of all, we, you know, we mentioned this in the uh, instant analysis, but there have been no positive uh, coronavirus tests. No, that doesn't, we don't know how many have actually been tested. Um, So I'm not sure how much that means, but um, you know, to know that that's the case, that's good. I'm not, have we heard about any college football play, major college football players that have been tested or have tested positive? I, they wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't announce that for student privacy laws, right? There'd be no reason for someone to say. I would guess. I, I mean, yeah. I would guess, but some, you know, that information would would leak yep. out. Yeah. You know, yep. somewhere along the way. I mean, there have been. I know there was an assistant coach at Boise State who tested positive, mm-hmm. who was like in his mid twenties, um, and said that it was like absolutely excruciating. Um, you know, to sort of fight off the symptoms. Uh, I know there's a former Oregon football player who had it, who was sort of asymptomatic, but tested positive. So it's. I mean, it will certainly touch college football because it's just touching everything. Um, you know, I, I don't know about like Notre Dame football players' family members. Um, yeah. But I but I can say talking to some professors who I just sort of know personally. I mean, they're they're dealing with students whose uh, one had uh, both grandparents die. Um, you know, and so that I mean that sort of gets into the the pass no fail option and just sort of the 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 flexibility that Notre Dame has to have here as everybody has to have is just like, it's such a disruption, not just for, you know, us staying at home with, you know, O'Malley and I in particular kids running around, but you know, people have real life serious things they got to deal with here. And that's, yeah. you know, consider I'm sure, some, I'm sure some Notre Dame football players will run into that at some point. I, I know you do, but consider yourself fortunate for having kids running oh, around yeah. here at home with them, you know, of course, oh, yeah. but yeah. Um, hey, Coach Bayless's uh, son joined our call briefly there. That was funny. <laughs> Maybe feel a little bit better that when after Sloan and Tate popped on, I'm like, God, this is really bad. Uh, yeah, no, nope, he, got on there too. How how old how old is this? He's said a little son? guy. Little guy. Yeah. Little guy. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, Brian Kelly. We didn't deal with this in this analysis because we wanted to talk specifically about the current team. But Brian Kelly talked about tending to the NFL prospects making yeah. sure that the likes of, you know, Chris Fink and, and Tony Jones Jr. and Jameer Jones and Asmar Bilal, who really should have been invited to the combine if Chris Fink and Tony Jones were. Um, but, I mean, those guys are I, – I would think Bilal has a chance to be drafted. I don't know about those other guys. But, uh, you know, just tending to them and dealing with GMs and uh, giving them more information than maybe they normally did with GPS information. I don't know why you wouldn't. In the first place, Maybe have yeah. shared that in in the first place because it. I mean, it's if you have strong GPS ratings, that's an intangible that the NFL would like 
to know about the guy that can run all day and go all day and have the, um, you know, the ability to, to, to keep on going. So I, I don't know why that hasn't been a part of it, but uh, Brian Kelly, you know, probably has his hands full more now than he would in a normal spring setting. Yeah. I bet he's wishing like crazy. He didn't have to do all the things he does now in meetings. And I mean, he kind of admitted it. What is it? Someone asked, what does your day look like? And half the things he responded to me, half the things he responded to all of us, I would not have guessed other than checking in with Rob Hunt about uh, the guys trying to rehab from afar. I mean, he had a million. That's a, yeah. I think that, that I think the rehab guys are in the toughest position because those are the ones that need the hands on having gone through a little rehab. Those are the ones that, <laughs> that uh, you know, you need the hands on help from the professionals. And I think, you know, not, not so much like Hainsey and Kramer because they were mostly on the mend. Right. But somebody like somebody like Jack Lamb and, and Shane Simon, really need that hands-on rehab work uh, that they're, they're probably not getting in, in any capacity right now. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's difficult for them. It's, you know, also for, you know, somebody like Jordan, Jen Marquise, who, you know, is in a, a position to start. And from what I can gather, had a, a really remarkable January, February in the weight room to transform his body a little bit to, to lose that momentum is difficult. Um, but you know, like, let's think about what Drew Wright's spring practice was last year. Yeah. He had a couple of spring practices, go skiing, messes up his shoulder, um, and still manages to find a way to win the job and, like, tie for the team lead in tackles. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. with uh, oh, yeah. with the G-O-K, Wisconsin. Okay, yep, yeah. yeah, they tied. Um, so it's like it, you can overcome it if you're going to be incredibly diligent and locked in. But it's just, as O'Malley was pointing out, I think it's very difficult. I mean, I, I'm 42 and should be mature enough to lock in all the time. This is a very strange time and I have a hard time staying focused uh, these days. So if you're a college kid with nothing going on, um, I would, I would imagine that would be even more true. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a guy affects a little is someone like Josh Lug was ready to make a move um, because the spots were there. Uh, Aaron Banks is, you, you have to kind of guess that Aaron Banks is his number one competition that he would try to supplant. And number two would be Kramer because the other spots aren't open. So Aaron Banks not being there and Josh Lugg settling in, if, you, if they settled him into left guard, that was going to be a, leg- a real a, – a real, it's still going to be because Aaron Banks has to come back in shape now, which is difficult too when you're home and not, not having guys push you when you're already in the 330 range or whatever um, on a bad wheel. But I think Josh Lugg could have left the spring to the point where Quinn and Kelly and Reese are like, are we sure that's not our guy? I mean, he goes through 15 practices and he started four games last year, a different position. So that's those those type of guys that kind of had a chance. They now have to have that chance in the summer. But to Pete's point about Drew White, I think it was must have been three years ago. Uh, Tavon Coney left his first spring with Clark Lee as his position coach. Mike Elko was still here, and the first thing Clark Lee said was, "Tavon Coney finished spring, and I did not have a thought about Tavon Coney." Yeah. And then he had the best year of his life, honestly. Yeah, I think because the, the summer was incredible for Tavon Coney. Yeah, the, but you know, like him and Drew White. I mean, I, I get the point, but I mean, those are those guys are the exception of the rule. Jordan Jim Marquis absolutely needed this. Think about think about like Ben Skoranek and Isaiah Pryor, who are new to the <laughs> new to the yeah. environment, yeah. and they they miss out on this opportunity. Houston Griffith and DJ Brown both have really good first practices, and then it's done. You know, we've heard good things about DJ Brown and Houston Griffith needs every good practice he can get. So, and I know everybody across the country is dealing with something very similar, but you know, you focus in on the guys that you know, and um, 
Yes, we've already determined it's a great, it's a great distraction. This is a, we, I, we keep going over and over and over and over again, but um, you know, it's just, it's a difficult time for, for everybody. You know, Tim, you mentioned Aaron Banks. I mean, he better be diligent. Wow. He better I mean, be diligent because I have a hard know, time believing that's, that's a hard thing to do, man. You're there's gonna... no doubt. I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I've put on a couple pounds because you're in the house all the time. I've tried to compensate, but you know, and imagine a guy like, imagine a guy like Aaron Banks who, you know, I mean, he's an offensive lineman. He must eat. I must eat. It has to be very difficult. <laughs> no, you mentioned this about uh, lug a little bit, and I did uh, sort of a Zoom call with with Tommy Reese this morning just for a future story because they don't have a whole lot going on right now. Um, and we were talking about the offensive line, and he said he saw lug similar to maybe how it was a Hainsey Kramer situation in 2017. Yeah, where essentially they have six guys who could start, which yeah. you know, as O'Malley is making the point here, I think correctly, like. If ultimately five of those guys separate from the six, then maybe that shuffles a little Who bit. Who would he but, alternate with? Would he alternate with Ainsley? It's like kind of a backup for for everybody. Um, but you know, is he is he really going to rotate with Eichenberg or uh, Hainsey? I would think definitely not. I uh, wouldn't think you take out if Hainsey's healthy. Those tackles aren't rotating out. No, and the, I know Josh Lug is probably the backup center now. Although they like Colin Grunhard, but Josh Lug got all that, all those center reps last spring um, and into August because Patterson had a couple injuries, like they all do to deal with. But you're not taking out Patterson for a couple series. You're starting center. That's just not the way yeah. football works. So it's two guys. It's 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 guard. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're not going to yeah. take. You got two veteran tackles. You're not going to yeah. take them out. Yeah. Certainly, Hainsey's a captain. All right, segment two coming up. Questions from our readers. Burning up the boards. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back with segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question from Judge Arthur Vandalay, an all-time favorite name. It feels like there is almost no chance that Notre Dame opens the season against Navy and Ireland. Have you heard of any potential alternate sites for the game? Annapolis obviously would be really cool, but maybe not one Notre Dame would agree to. Well, I, you know, Jack Swarbrick doesn't want to answer this question yet, but I just don't see how there's any way they're going to play in Ireland. We've talked about that many times. Um, as far as potential alternate sites, I mean, they've, they've been playing in all of those alternate sites for, for many, many years now. You could go to geez, Soldier Field would be an option. That's one where they haven't played Navy uh, in Chicago, but FedEx Field in Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Lincoln Financial Field. You could go to Raven Stadium in Baltimore. They probably want to avoid New Jersey, you know, although we don't know. I mean, it's a hot spot now, but but at that I was point. Say, you might, why are you going to play in the Meadowlands if you can't go play in – Dublin and Aviva, where there's going to be well, far, just far fewer the, cases. Just, yeah, travel, I mean, other than but, the yeah. travel and the amount of fans that are going over to Ireland. But, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, by the way, just for the record, Annapolis, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium holds 34,000. It is the 89th largest stadium among the 130 uh, FBS schools. That might tie into our next question. You, might, mean, not need, you might not need all those people. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, it's just like if 
if you're going to do no fans, it doesn't matter. Navy Marine Corps Stadium would probably be just fine. You really believe that that's going to happen, that it's going to be no fans? I mean, I, I guess I'll believe it when I see it. I It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it's – at least for the first – I mean, the way Sorbrick described it, I don't – uh, was you know maybe the first couple of weeks um, as you know everyone's sort of getting up and running. I mean, I, I would think that you know not only move the game but move the date. I don't know what Navy's schedule is, but I'm assuming they're also on a buy on week one since this was right. supposed to be a week zero game. Like an extra week is well, yeah. If you play, yeah, yeah, if you play in the states and you can certainly move the date but, of that. You know, an extra week maybe it's not significant. Like we don't know the timeline. It'd be great if it wasn't. Right, that's the thing. In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Because if I, I can't imagine that it's significant that August 29th or 30th or whatever is terrible, but September 5 is great. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't seem humanly possible. So we have no idea I mean, of the timeline, honestly. I mean, I think the most significant thing is uh, of all these times, like the timeline is May 15th is sort of an important date for Notre Dame. They'll decide whether the second summer school is going to go ahead or not. That will impact what summer training is on campus. That will impact summer recruiting at campus. But in that note from the provost, Tom Burrish, is an expectation that the fall semester will go on as normal, right. that students will be on campus. And I mean, I'm assuming you guys sort of see it the same way. Like you can't have college football unless you have college first. No, I agree. They will no. not do that. You're totally. Oh, yeah. There is, name is not getting there, is, there is that, isn't there? Look, yeah. you, know, you can have college and your students are safe. <laughs> I don't think that means you necessarily – would view having 85,000 or a hundred thousand people in South Bend is like a great idea. Like maybe this could be the slow ramp up of like college is safe, but how about we don't invite this extra element yeah. in and, you know, just have the students there. You know, Mac Brown, Mac Brown said, you know, as far as playing in front of empty in empty stadiums that if, you know, if the, if, the fans are at risk. The players are at risk too. And you can't do that. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Well, they're at risk. It's just a different level of risk because they don't have 80,000 people sitting next to each other. The players, I mean, the players are still at risk, but once you bring 80,000 people into the element, it yeah, but everything. the players aren't going to be infected by the people in the stands. No, but I'm saying the players are the players. So there's six, let's 120 players playing a game. They're all risking each other, and all those players are on the sideline. So every single player is at risk if one player that plays in the game could transmit it, right? Yeah. But exponentially, every single person within Section 22 is at risk. <laughs> there's persons in there, and there's three or four people in there. I think that it's just a numbers game that is impossible to wrap our heads around. Well, you know, certainly the, the, the interaction – think about right? the, the interaction between fans and players. I mean, that you know, the players walking to the stadium and yeah, that's not happening shaking hands with fans. I mean, not, you know, the, our entire world, the way we look at the world is changed. I don't necessarily want to say forever, but in the, in the immediate future with, with us, the, those that experience this situation, our lives are pretty much changed forever because of it. You had a point to make before I oh, chime in on just that. Like, you know, the there have been federal mandates from I think the CDC about like you know gatherings of ten, gatherings of twenty. You know, if you can get to like gatherings of five hundred, then that that would be a health official saying you could play a football game mm-hmm. without fans. Um, and I right. think well, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, I think if if health officials say gatherings of five hundred are okay. Um, then you can have sporting events again, but you do just have to have them without the fan, the, the stands full of, of, of fans. 
And an unfortunate thought is I do not believe Brian Kelly will allow his players, rightly so, to do the uh, high-fiving on the player walk this year. So if you're part of that, that is not yeah. happening. That is not happening. Yeah, I think that BK was fairly uh, uh, sober about, like, it's not like we're just going to have this green light to go back to the way it was. Yeah, he made a good point. There's where There will be adjustments. It's not going to be, yeah. let's go. Yeah. Fizzle 34, is there an absolute drop-dead date regarding the start-end of football season? If the government slash NSA mandate little to no spectators, would games still be televised? Tim, you want to answer that one? <laughs> the only thing I know. <laughs> at all revolving around this virus and any date is that if games are played with little to no spectators, it will only be to put them on television. Not so cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame can run out there and try to beat Arkansas. It will only be for television. Literally, they will be playing for television. Imagine the, the rating, the ratings yes. that day. The money is great. <laughs> they are not just hoping that Liam Eikenberg gets to go out there and work on his past sets. It's for money. Yeah, I mean, that's how you, so you're keeping athletic departments afloat and sports uh, afloat at that point with those TV revenue checks. Otherwise, it's – man, it's a it's – a, read some of the accounting of this. I think Pat Forty and Ross Dellinger had something on Sports Illustrated about it. It's a, it's a pretty dire world if you look at it and be like, all right, football isn't played at all um, from a financial standpoint. It's, it's quite bleak. And yeah. if you can get TV back, then you can at least – kind of muddle your way through for at least a year it sounds like you know the the uh a guy named john sharp he's the chancellor at uh, texas a&m and he said that he felt they could start as late as october uh like the beginning of october and he didn't i don't know if he said this or not but just looking at it if you could you know where you could still play your whole schedule now what do you do you take the first four games and then put them on the back end of the schedule in december you know, because you because yeah. you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to unsettle the entire schedule. You right. could keep the last eight games set the way they are, and but and take the first four and stick them on the back end of it and play them through December. So Notre Dame would open with with Wisconsin on October third. He didn't say that. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. He said you could start as late as October first, and maybe you could just pick up that September schedule and put it on the back end. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of a, everything's on the table. Tim, I know you've, you've done something with Sorbrick. I'm trying to set something up. And I, I'm sort of, I'm interested to talk through some of these hypotheticals, kind of like, would this work or not? I'm not, you know, again, I, I'm not asking him to endorse one or the other, but like, like, how, how would you play in spring? Like, what are the questions you would need to answer if you were going to have a season in spring of 2021 and then another season in the fall of 2021? Or if you did the conference games only or if you did the take the first four games and move them to the last four games you know could you play through December in the regular season in January I have absolutely no idea how any of that would work um he probably has some thoughts on I'm curious to to see what he has to say Next uh, kind of yeah kind of tying in with that Tim go ahead Statman asks if conferences decide to play only conference games then Notre Dame would be left without opponents remember the six games against the ACC teams are considered non-conference games and do not count in the standings. Pete, what do you think about that? I think that there's zero chance of that happening. That's, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah, they, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't allow it. They just wouldn't allow it. Well, if they do, Notre Dame's going to win their conference because they're going to kill 
BYU, Navy, and whoever else lines up a couple times <laughs> to play against them. Is UMass independent now? I should look that up. There's... Uh, they would have, actually, they'd have a lot of games with Liberty. Yes, uh, they will. Well, they can't play Liberty, though, because they right. are really not social distancing. So that no. would not be a great call no. at all. But, no. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I get the question. And, Statman, you're not the only one. We've had a few questions about that. And I, I just think that that's really premature. And I don't – I just don't think that that would – I think they should do it. To happen. Make the, I think they should do it. Make the independence a conference and let all conference tournament champions go play for an eighteen playoff at the end of the season. We'll watch that because they're going to roll. I think the ACC would be like, all right, you ACC teams play Notre Dame, um, yeah. and then you probably get like Navy USC. I mean, that would essentially be Notre Dame's conference games. Um, yeah. you know, maybe some teams would play nine games. Some teams would play seven. Some teams would play eight. Um, if but you we did, don't think this is a thing. Yeah, we don't yeah, think yeah, yeah, that's um, You could play a shortened schedule, but that doesn't mean Notre Dame's shortened schedule will go down to zero games. Right. Any Davis, too. What is Notre Dame's sales pitch to recruits during this unprecedented time? Is the messaging getting through? Frank, please wait. Huh? Don't commit. <laughs> don't commit is right. Um, I thought Brian Kelly made a – I don't think this is their sales pitch, but I, I thought he said if you're if there's not going to be football for your first year, wouldn't Notre Dame be your best place to be? Was a unique sales pitch. <laughs> um, no, I think see, I, I think I, guys I, would choose party schools. No, I, do, that no, be- I know that's why I was like, I don't know. I think it's better when you get to play and have something to fall back on, but not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> it's a yeah. Please wait. It's probably Pete's probably right. Please wait. Don't uh, we need to see you before you commit? Yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's just sort of where they are with right now in this. I mean, they've gotten creative, I think, with some of the guys. I mean, we'll get into Will Shipley here in a second, but, like, they're they're working hard at it. Um, you know, Brian Kelly, I think, is this isn't how I thought his renewed enthusiasm for recruiting would show itself, but he's certainly more involved in the day-to-day now than, than I would argue that he has been in the past. Um, you know, with some of these Zoom calls and FaceTime and trying to think outside the box about, all right, how do we how do we make an impression on a kid that, you know, we hasn't been made yet. I mean, it's like a lot of these guys that are on, you know, they've had weekly contact with them for a year. So how do you find something new to say? Um, I think they're, they're sort of racking their brain on that and doing a, I, doing I a loved, job. I, I love the alliterative distinction or phrase that Brian Kelly used for the distinction is digging, di- digging deep into our distinctions. Yes. <laughs> Only at Notre Dame. Only at Notre Dame. <laughs> Please wait. Yeah. <laughs> That's coach. That's right. Our next one is a real pick-me-up from B54, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses again. When should we start worrying about recruiting, i.e. Shipley trending away, no backup plan, OL misses followed by local, low-hanging fruit, no linebackers as usual, no top cornerbacks, Colsey. Did David Abiara, did that happen? Did- He's not listed. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> he did verbally commit to Notre Dame. But, I, you know, I get where he's coming from because, uh, uh, you know, there seems to be a, a, a interruption or a fracture here, at least in terms of of results, uh, offensive line. Oh, I like that Wyatt Milam kid. That was the one – that was – he wasn't the one offensive lineman because I think I think Rocco Spindler is a great one and a really important one for Notre Dame. But uh, – I don't know. I, you know, I mean, it's a very, very difficult time to recruit, to be landing recruits now, is it not? Yeah, it's a, there's not 
there's not a ton that Notre Dame can can do here other than these FaceTime calls and texting. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to um, a, co- a cornerback from Maryland. I think it's, was it Ryan Moore? My uh, Rod Moore? No, not Rod. I'm I'm conflating two uh, two prospects here, but he's a he's a three star corner from oh, uh, Ryan Maryland. Barnes. Ryan Barnes, yeah. That's Rod a, Moore. That's a that's a four star corner. So I was I wanted to do a story just to like okay how like how, essentially how is Mike Mickens recruiting here? Um, you know how how and how is Notre Dame collectively doing it? And so Barnes told me that I mean Notre Dame is he's he's got to know Elston Lee Aaron Carney um, Terry Joseph now Mike Mickens, um, which I was like okay you know that's pretty standard, but he also said that Notre Dame has spent a lot of time like uh, calling his parents. Um, getting to know his family over the phone, which I which I don't think is something Notre Dame does a ton of. And they're definitely doing that more now. I, I agree. So that that I think is kind of an interesting change. But I mean, as far as recruiting goes, like I don't have a ton of concern about how they're going to finish at corner. Um, I think they have enough guys on the board that they like. I think offensive line, as long as they can get uh, Rocco Spindler and one other guy, will, will be fine. I would prefer they take four. Um, you know, Will Shipley is, they're all in on this dude. Um, and I don't know if I would say he's trending away either. I would say that that goes back and forth between Clemson by the week. Um, but that that's just, like, if you're going to try to recruit at a top five level, you're going to have your heart broken because you're going against guy, other programs that are in the playoff all, more than you are. Um, and in this case, that's what the, they're locked in a head-to-head with Clemson which is tough. Um, that's a difficult one to win. I'm not, and I, they're not conceding it at all. Um, nor should I think beef 54 do the same. Um, but you know, there's a 50% chance they don't get Will Shipley. Um, but if they do, it, it just sort of changes the, the outlook of your entire class. And that's just, that's the world you have to live in. If you're Notre Dame, um, if you want, if you want to recruit like Clemson, you're going to have to beat Clemson for guys, and a lot of time you're not going to beat Clemson every time. This isn't this isn't Notre Dame outfoxing Virginia or Michigan State or the the low hanging fruit this guy's complaining about. You have to be willing to take some hard losses, um, and we'll we'll see how Will Shipley shakes out. And while in addition to Shipley, while beef, I, while his laments are all accurate, don't you think they are exacerbated by losing Colsey? And this would not be the perception. The the perception of this would not be as bad if that didn't happen. Yeah, Colsey. That's a that's that's a bad. Yeah, that's a blow. And I feel like it makes body blows feel worse because of that haymaker. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the concern. Like if if Colsey was still in the class, I don't think you would have a recruiting concerns question at all. I I, that's that's kind of my point. Like everything else, be like, oh well, that's unfortunate, but whatever. And this is so yeah. If you had Colsey and now so Shipley can somewhat turn the tide on that one and yeah. on that note Hayden Adams ND given recent offensive recruiting struggles offensive line losing Colsey and possibly losing Shipley will the loss of Chip Long have more positive or negative effects long term I think we've been pretty upfront that short term it's definitely negative uh you know because I know a lot of people didn't think that that Chip Long did a good job as an offensive coordinator I think the three of us disagree with that number one and we've said all along he was a good recruiter and there was going to be a drop-off without him. So I think short-term, definitely negative. Now, long-term, 
you know, I think Tommy Reese has a chance to be a really good offensive coordinator, but he's got the Iowa State game and that's it and no spring practice, um, you know, to help him progress along those lines. But Chip Long's a loss. He's a good football coach um, that didn't particularly relate as well to the players as the players wanted him to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I agree with what you guys are saying. It's um, from a recruiting perspective, it was a setback. I, I think, you know, will Mickens as an upgrade over light mitigate uh, the transition from Long to McNulty? Probably not, because I think Long was yeah. really, really dogged. Um, but it's just that's just sort of where they are. I, you know, they, I don't, I don't, I don't think they could continue culturally um, with sort of you know the chip long personality in, in front of the offense they, they just needed a new voice in there yeah I think it's important when you look at chip long to realize that if everything that was asked of him in terms of communication with coaches and players had improved he would not have been let go yep that's right he'd be back as the offensive Brian, coordinator so they weren't looking to make that change Brian he, Kelly was, was not, hand. yeah Brian Kelly was not looking for a change at offensive no. coordinator that's that's there's a reason for that he liked him as his offensive coordinator and his recruiter but yeah, but if it, yeah, let me just throw no. this in: if you were going to, if you made all the changes you made after 2016, you know, and the, the you yes. know the kinder, yeah. gentler approach, that you, your hand was forced; you had to do it. Yeah. Oh, not saying could didn't have to do it, but it wasn't something that was ideal. It wasn't like we got to get rid of that guy. That had nothing right. to do with performance, or little to do with performance. Uh, Mac three forty one. Who in recruiting world? Who I'm sorry. Who in recruiting? <laughs> when you say are must gets for Notre Dame, and what happens if they don't get them? Rocco Spindler, right, Pete? That's a yeah. mu- that's a must get for Notre Dame. Yes. Uh, I would say I would say Ryan Barnes. I love Ryan Barnes. I think that is a that's a it's it's not a uh, it's not a Kyle Hamilton situation like last year when he was a three star and then became a four to five star. But that kid can play. Ryan Barnes, he's got length. He can play corner. He certainly can play safety. I love his attitude and his savviness. I think Spindler and Barnes are muskets. Probably at this stage, Pat Coogan, the interior offensive lineman from Chicago, who who should go to Notre Dame. He wants to be at Notre Dame. He's always loved Notre Dame. I don't know how much of a huge difference maker he is, but considering where they are with the offensive line, he's probably one that is a must-get, so to speak. And then after that, Pete, I don't know if there's anybody else you'd throw in there. Uh, Will Shipley. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but you may not, you can say must get, but if you don't, yeah. if, if Clemson wins, which can easily you're, happen, you, you're in you, trouble. you better, you, well, you better have some kind of alternative. Yeah. I mean, and they will, but it's like, I, I sort of view must get, or it's like, if you're going to have a class that help you win in the playoffs, Will Shipley has to be part of it. Okay. I, 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 from that, from that perspective, I get what you're saying. I, I have a hard time listing a guy as a must get when I don't think they're going to get him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. That's, you guys both have pretty good points on that one. Must must get if you want to win really big, or must yeah. get if you just want to. Two, two perspectives. Well, Matt, Matt's back in Orlando. Matt's Rogers asked when comparing. Uh, we're going to veer off of recruiting here now. When when comparing Chase Claypool to Cole Komet, I would make the case that Claypool had better production, better testing, and athleticism is a better blocker and has had fewer health issues. Not sure why Komet gets drafted ahead of him. I wrote a, I wrote a story the other day saying, 
who goes first because Dan Shanka from our lads, I know Mel Kuyper Jr. gets credit for saying that Chase Claypool may be a first-round draft choice, but it was Dan Shanka, Shanka from, from our lads that first said that he thinks that that could happen. Um, your perspective on that? Well, I mean, Cole Komet is elite tight end physically, um, and it doesn't matter how much he has or has not produced in college. Um, he, he looks like an NFL tight end, um, in a, I think a fairly weak tight end class. Chase Claypool is a really good receiver in a historically deep receiver class. So that's why that happens. Um, I mean, Chase Claypool is not, is not without, you know, some medical things to get checked out. He had a shoulder a few years ago, I think in 2017, um, certainly said less than Komet, but I, I totally understand why someone would, would take Komet over Claypool because if you're taking Komet, you really need a tight end. If you're taking Claypool, and there aren't many options, if you're taking Claypool, you need a receiver. Uh, but are you going to take Claypool over those Alabama receivers? Or I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, um, there, there are just too many really good receivers out there to feel like Claypool's definitely going to go ahead and Komet. That is the answer. Um, that, that's the answer. It's supply demand. It's always is in the draft. If there's that many good players in one position, you're not supposed to fall in love with one. Like we know he loves Chase Claypool. We started to love watching Chase Claypool play as a senior. You're falling in love with how good that guy can be. And I think (laughs) Chase Claypool might have more value on a football team a couple years down the line. And as a rookie, because he can play special teams than Cole Komet. But if you at all need a tight end, you need to think about Cole Komet before you think of Chase Clay. If you need both, a tight end and a wide receiver. It doesn't mean – it's a different question than all the things he listed. I do think Chase Claypool can be a better player than Komet. But you could also get Cole Komet and another great receiver. And then it doesn't matter that you didn't get Chase Claypool. Yeah, the, the NFL – I mean, there, there are dozens of examples. Look, I'll just say Mitch Trubisky. He was the second pick in the draft. Are you kidding me? I mean, what are we <laughs> – I mean, you know, Shaka said. Shaka <laughs> said Jack Freeman yeah. is not happy when he's listening to this. Yeah. Right now Sha- Shaka <laughs> said. Shaka said to me the other day. He says he's amazed at how many guys are willing to lose their jobs by picking bad quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's right. That is. I mean, it's it's just, the strangest it's thing. And and, and and no position do they stretch more than they do with with the quarterback oh. position. But I mean, what you guys are saying is, it's just that's just the nature of the NFL. Look, Komet. Komet was 262 pounds and he ran a 4.7. I think his vertical is 37. You know, I mean, you're, you're drafting for two different purposes. And I, and I would yeah. agree. I would agree with Matt's Rogers that, um, you know, Clay, you know, Claypool continues that we keep saying Claypool won't do this and Claypool keeps doing it. I think the last time we said that was that he wasn't going to break four or five and he ran a four, four, two. So you know, yeah, I think he's a pretty special football player, but when it comes to the NFL and evaluating and, and by position and things like that, it has nothing to do with it. We're going to skip the next question, guys. So, Tim, move on to the next one, please. CMU Pence fan, which players that came out of Notre Dame highly rated and then did not succeed most surprise you if you take injuries off the table? And since it's coming out of Notre Dame, I assume that means NFL. NFL, yeah. yeah. I, this was, I thought this was a really interesting question because when I went back and looked draft by draft I don't know that there was somebody that 
I that mean, one. recent. Who recently? Oh, who? not no, not not. Yeah, no, mine's not. Recently. Yeah. Who, not okay, who do you have? Well, these the player was a successful player, but I thought he could be an All Pro, and it's the best nose tackle the Notre Dame's ever had in my lifetime. And Chris Zorich was just a regular player for the Bears, a, a starting player that wasn't as good as the guys he replaced at, in Chicago. And I thought he would be one of Notre Dame's best players of the nineties in the pros. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of guys that were good that carved careers that I thought would be even better in college. Like mm-hmm. Derek Mays had a fine career. There's nothing. It wasn't like to write home about, you know, Reggie Brooks was a rookie of the year candidate and barely got another contract. Like, I'm, so these guys, I mean, he ran for a thousand yards. He's a successful player. Right. But so I, that's where I, I projected them to be, huge successes in the NFL and they were not. I don't Pete, know. I don't, what I, Pete, yeah. I don't know if you had an opportunity to really consider this question. I'm uh, just like in the, in the BK era, I mean, the guys that were significantly better college players than pros, um, you know, the three that would come to mind probably would be Kavari Russell, um, CJ Prosize and Troy Nicholas. Um, you know, pro size and Nick pro size did not have a lot of production. Nicholas didn't have a lot of production. I think Russell would probably be the guy that I thought would make a pretty good pro. I mean, he's, he barely has been involved in the league. I mean, he got caught, I think as a, as a rookie, if I'm not mistaken, um, with the chiefs, um, that, that would be the one that was like, I didn't think he was going to be like an all pro or a pro bowler or anything, but I thought he would play, and he's he's barely played. Yeah, he is. That is definitely my pick. That is my pick of the of the Kelly era. Is Kavari Russell? Yeah, you know, like Nicholas. You could see him not succeeding, though. Well, I mean, because because he's 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 kind of he's a free spirited. You know, I mean, when you take into consideration physical characteristics, which he had, but he was also, you know, a little bit a little bit out there too. So, you know, I. I mean, Brady Quinn, I didn't think Brady Quinn was accurate enough to be a quality you know NFL what? I, quarterback. I, I disagree. Well, I mean, you were right, but I disagree. I thought Brady Quinn would be a good quarterback until he went to Cleveland, and that ruins you, of course. Um, but, I, I mean, <laughs> no, he might not no, have been. Yeah. I, I was mean, probably Ke- wrong overall. Desha- so. Deshaun Kaiser, we're not surprised that he no, hasn't emerged. No. Jimmy Clausen, the, no, the fair-haired was, boy. Yeah, I mean, the fair-haired boy through his whole life. I was wrong about Quinn. NFL. I was totally wrong about Quinn. The, the Clawson point I, I made from the get-go was that guy is not a good enough athlete to play in the NFL. Yeah. And I mean, when you touch him, he goes down. Yeah, he was a lot different That's, by his junior year than he yeah. was his freshman and sophomore year physically. But, yeah, I would agree. Uh, Lewis Nix, you know, I mean, it, we're not surprised he that he didn't. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I thought it was a really interesting question because the only guy that really jumped out at me was Kavari Russell. I thought he would – I thought he would – I mean, he's, he's not in the league, right? I mean, I thought he would. I thought, I don't know. Did, did he get cut his rookie year? Or is yeah, he, he, he did get cut? cut. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that's that's raining, really, yeah. re, that's really really surprising to me. And you know, what about ahead, Tim, Jim, I'm sorry. sorry. What about um? Not that we thought he'd be great, uh, but pre-draft, would you think that Tavon Coney would not have made a team before he wasn't drafted? No, I, I, you know, not the ideal dimensions. I mean, I can, you can always come up with, you say a guy and it's like, okay, there, this could be a reason not to, but as productive as he was, yeah. you know, but adaptability to the, to the yeah. NFL, I, you know, Tavon Cohen, I don't know. You know, I think you can, you can. That's come, proven I, to be the case. It's just not yes. something I would have said before the draft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, J.M. Rasco, any news about Notre Dame basketball transfers? Is Mike Bray actively pursuing anyone? 
I've seen a few players that have Notre Dame on their list. Who is the most likely possibility? I think I'm the best guy to answer this question, actually. I'm just glad they got Tony Sanders. Yeah, Yeah, Tony Tony Sanders. I did want to talk about Tony Sanders. He's a a guy that's going to be on the team next year. He he had not signed with anybody, verbally committed. He's a really, really good athlete. He becomes the best athlete on the team. You had me an athlete. You had me an athlete. Yeah. Done. Six foot, uh, <laughs> list is six foot seven, so probably six foot six ish. Can really get up and down the court. Uh, guy that really can finish around the bucket. Don't know whether his jump shot translates to the next level. You I hope he never shoots an outside shot in his life at Notre Dame. <laughs> well, he is never. He, he is don't a, learn. I mean, he is a sweet, he is a wing, so he, I mean, yeah. he does. They all their tall guys stand out there and shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but he really gives them athleticism. But the question is about grad transfers, and I'm not really sure. I mean, the guy that I think they really have the best shot at right at this very second is Trey Wirtz from Santa Clara. Unfortunately, he's born and he comes from Charlotte, North Carolina, and North Carolina's in the running for him, as is Notre Dame and Arizona. Notre Dame thinks it's Notre Dame, Arizona, and North Carolina for Trey Wirtz. He's about 6'4". He's a shooting guard. I really love his game. He's a lean-in. He's a lean-in score around the bucket, contrary to T.J. Gibbs. When he shoots a runner and a soft shot in the lane, it's really soft and has a good chance of going in, although Gibbs got better at that his senior year. You had me at contrary uh, to T.J. Gibbs. A shooter, I would compare his shooting to Dane Goodwin, whereas he's not, he's not a guy that's going to release the ball at the top of his jump. He's more of a guy that's kind of a set, a set shooter, but he gets a shot off very quickly. So I don't know, it, you know, Johnny, this Johnny Juzang kid from Kentucky, um, he's not going to go to Notre Dame. Um, Wirtz would have to sit out a year. Juzang would have to sit out a year too. But Wirtz is the guy. I think you'd like Wirtz's game, Tim, if, when you see him. Uh, I think they have a decent chance of getting him. Every time you say around the bucket and you don't say stretch four that has good range and can develop into a three-point shooter at Notre Dame, I'm very happy. Yeah, no, no, no stretch four talk no stretch uh, right here today. Keep away. Uh, question from uh, we're, we're in a home stretcher. Dylan Murphy, O2. What have Tim, Tim, and P- Pete been doing with their free time during COVID 19? And you two guys have a much different story than I do. <laughs> Mally, why don't you lead the way? Because I'm well, worried about, I, I mean, let me first say I'm worried about my son who lives in Jersey City, right yeah. across from right across the Hudson from New York City. And I, I, I check with him every three or four days. He assures me that him and his wife are fine. And then about three or four days later, I'm worried about him again and have to check check with him and make sure that he's doing fine there. Yeah, ours is a little closer to home, as in banging on the door of my office in the last 10 minutes. But um, <laughs> the distance learning, we're on spring break now. So is Pete. I guess so is everybody else in South Bend area. But we're on spring break now. It's a new challenge. Distance learning, more of a challenge. I think we're all playing board games and with the nice <laughs> weather playing outside. But I would like to announce that the game called Football Tag where I have a Nerf football and the three kids have home base being the swing set is the only place they're safe. I, they want me, they admitted the game. I run around, chase them and have to hit them with a Nerf football or freeze tag. I don't know why they like being pegged with a Nerf football, but if you want to try it at home, apparently it doesn't hurt except for one that got away and hit Charlotte's face. <laughs> um, they love football tag. So Pete, Try some football tag. You get to throw right. balls as hard How's as you your want condi- your Is your conditioning holding up during? Oh yeah, I, I actually have a lot more. Uh, my wife is home three days a week, and uh, I just I've I've gone for about what are we quarantine day uh, twenty right now, including self imposed I've probably gone for 
30 runs in these 20 days. So 30 runs? Yeah, I go out there in the morning before everybody gets up and then do something in the daytime, too. It's oh good feeling. Unfortunately, right. unfortunately, there's calories in alcohol, so it doesn't completely offset. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, a lot of outdoor running. The weather has been nice enough the last few days where I sort of kick the kids out of the house in the morning. They're like, I'll see you at lunch and then kick them out, see you at dinner. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. We went over to campus actually yesterday and rode bikes around, which was nice. Um, it's kind of yeah. weird weaving around the dorms and stuff where like, I mean, we probably saw 50 people total. Um, and then, uh, I've learned how to make sourdough bread and I've been watching Ozark at the, um, advice of everyone that I ever talked to about television. And that actually, I, would, uh, actually but I put you over the top. I, actually a show yes. that I watched before you. That's a rare, I know that's, that's a real rarity. <laughs> I've been enjoying that. And then, um, yeah, we've, fortunately, we like our neighbors, uh, who are all like diligent social distancers. So it's good to like your neighbors. Place. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we kind of gather around an outdoor fire pit, um, sit six feet apart and, um, you know, have cocktails or beers. So it's been, it's been all right. Once school starts next week though, man, I'm, I'm a little nervous. You're back it's at it. It's not fun. Distance the distance good. learning is awful. I, I feel like in a lot of respects that I'm, I'm working more. Well, I, I'm not working more because we would add spring football, but I feel like I'm working a lot. Definitely tried to, to work out. I've been on the treadmill. I haven't been outside as much as you guys have, but like 28 of the last 30 days. So I'm hitting that hard. Uh, definitely. I, we've watched so many movies that we're watching a lot of bad movies now, man. <laughs> A lot of bad movies. There's a lot of good ones out there too, though. And as I as I said yeah, on our on the Irish, like, what's that? Recommendations? Like what? Uh, what movie should we avoid? Like I, I can we can share I'll, some movie recommendations. Yeah, I I I've got a long list. I'll share that to you to share that to you off. I saw one with the 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 really the girl from uh, Modern Family last night was the last episode of Modern Family, but I saw a movie with the older girl, the cute little. Thin girl on Modern Family. <clears throat> Can I say what? I can't say that. No, I'm trying to. Differ- yes. no, I'm trying to differentiate between her and her sister on the show. Okay. Anyway, lousy movie, so don't watch it. And as I said on our message board, I have frequently broken the five o'clock rule in the last. Oh month. yeah, yeah. That's and I uh, hope that hope that you jo- hope that you join me. I don't break the five o'clock rule as much, but it's the issue of uh, it's not when you start, but when you finish. And I tend to finish later. Yeah, I, I feel like not I'm great. breaking the no. it's eleven. It's the eleven o'clock rule. Like, all <laughs> ah, yeah, oh, right, right. No, that's it. Yeah, mine is PM. Mine is PM as well. Mine is like, why am I? Why would I do that? This makes no. I wasn't sense. getting creepy with the minor family guy. Yeah. Just trying to differentiate. <laughs> all right, our last question is Big Mac twenty four. If you could sit down and have a cigar with three people from Notre Dame, past or present. Who would it be and why? Well, first of all, Big Mac misspelled uh, Whistle Pig 12-Year Rye Whiskey by spelling it C-I-G-A-R for Pete and I. Yeah. Okay, but yes, we you. all have. <laughs> I don't indulge. I, I couldn't indulge anymore in cigars. So we'd have to, we'd, we'd have to say a drink. Valid question. Um, you're, what? You're, are, you, are you stumped? No, I'm not stumped. I just I want the information to be flowing. In other words, I don't want to be guarded. Like I would like to talk to Brian Kelly or Mike Elston, 
if it would be like a real conversation over drinks. You know what right. I mean? I hear what you're saying. But if, it, if it's something like Pete Mock was coming along really well while we're talking about this over bourbon, I don't really need to have that conversation. So I'm trying to think of someone that would just be like, I mean, I think, I mean, I'd like to talk to Stonebreaker would be a fun guy to talk to over that because he's a free spirited guy. He has a unique life now. Uh, and he played in the era that I liked the most. So I think Stonebreaker would be my first choice of that. And I think he would enjoy the drinks as well. Hmm. Uh, I will go, I'll throw Brian Kelly in there in O'Malley's. Uh, <laughs> in my world, yeah. yeah. But then I'll go, I'll go Era and Father Ted as well. Yeah, coming from a little different perspective, because I did uh, interview Father Ted, and there's actually a picture of me here in my office. Um, Excellent documentary. Like, we're talking about movies. The, if you haven't seen the Father Ted documentary, I would highly recommend it. I have not. I have not. And I do it's really good. Um, I smoked a cigar with Moose Krause, so I, there you I, go. I, 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 would, uh, um, I would like to do that again. I used to go to Lou Holtz's office and it was amazing. First of all, it was, you guys would be amazed at how much one-on-one time was allowed with the head coach of Notre Dame back. We would be, you're right. We would be. Oh my God. You can't, you can't believe it. But I'd sit down on his side of the desk and settle in and he would pull, I've probably said this to you before, open up his drawer and he'd pull out this massive baggie of pipes (laughs) and he would carefully pick through which pipe he wanted to smoke his tobacco in that day and so i would like to i would like to revisit that again but i don't know what would i mean what would it be like what what do you think a a, a drink with newt rockney would have been like i, I yeah that would have been probably would have been more than one but i tell you what I, um yeah it would have been good from that realm. yeah i tell you what i'd like to talk to joe Moore because i bet you get some good information out of that you one. would you would definitely <laughs> like to sit down with joe Moore and talk to him yeah, that's that's a good. Uh, and also, when he retires, because he'd be a lot of fun, because we already know this for a fact. Uh, Mike Bray. Mike Bray. <laughs> that's not too in that situation. But Mike Bray. Probably better to wait a few years on that one in retirement as opposed to nowadays. But I mean, you know, you guys are doing Yeah, that happens. But as I said, you want all the info. So yeah, we're probably missing a few players here, but maybe we can uh, maybe we can address this question at a later date. But that's it today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back anticipating being back in a couple weeks in between O'Malley and I will be doing our one, two, three uh, slash instant analysis as we move forward through these uh, uncertain, we don't know what the hell is going to happen times. So thanks for joining us today for Irish illustrated insider. I've been thinking lately about the people I meet, the car wash on the corner and the hole in the street. The way my ankles hurt with shoes on my feet And I'm wondering if I'm gonna see tomorrow Father, forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in heaven